You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. I'd like to speak today about enjoying God. That is my title. Enjoying God. Can we say that together? Enjoying God. These verses we've just read say, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you. You And I have this conviction that from this one verse alone, if there is joy to be found in his presence, if it is pleasurable to be living with God, then it is right and appropriate that we should enjoy God. But I don't know if that's your experience. I don't know if that is how you would articulate your relationship with God. But I want to speak today about enjoying God. Enjoying God. You see, we're on the brink, as Esther has said, of these 21 days of prayer, which starts tomorrow. And I have an urgency today that none of us here would miss out on this season. You know, none of us would let this pass us by, that we wouldn't get halfway in or get past it, and we haven't taken the opportunity to engage. You know, in John 5, there's the story of the man who's been an invalid for 38 years by the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus comes, and he he says, don't you want to get well? It's a pool that's renowned for healing, and he says, well, whenever the waters get stirred, I I can't get in. I keep missing out. Somebody beats me to it, And, and it's this tragic situation of someone who keeps missing out, and Jesus comes and heals him. I don't want anyone to miss out. on an opportunity of three weeks together where we push into God. And so there's an urgency that that we might do something, we might commit to something, might fast from something, might make a decision. There's room in this little booklet to write down points for your own prayer focus, some things that you might want to pray through. Imagine praying every day for 21 days for a breakthrough in some situation, to join with the prayer shield, to come and gather in times of worship and prayer. Above all, to press into God and experience a a new encounter of the presence of God. I don't want anyone to miss out. But you know, my concern is not only that some would miss out, but that some of us might approach this time in the wrong way. You see, just as there's a great opportunity for encounter, there's also great opportunity for religion at a time like this. There's great potential for us to get focused on doing something for God rather than doing something with God. That somehow we can be misaligned and we can end up striving or in legalism or purely in self-denial that religion can be defined as man's external effort to please God. And God, can I say, is not looking for that religion. The Pharisees were religious experts, but Jesus lambasted them. We have to grasp this simple truth. We were created to enjoy God. Let me say that again. We were created to enjoy God. And God created us that he might enjoy us. And As we have a time like this, I also carry this urgency that we would approach this with the right perspective. Augustine, the great Christian theologian whose writings massively shaped Western Christianity, said this, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
This is our purpose, our created purpose, Augustine said, is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. That's our purpose. That's what we were created for. If it's to do anything, it's to enjoy God. John Piper, in his book, Desiring God, actually turned this a little bit and said, you know what, I actually believe the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Because how better is God glorified than when we enjoy Him? And so, will we come at this time? You see, the, the challenge is this, the very disciplines, the practices that can help the seeking heart to find God. And I'm talking here about prayer and fasting and worship and silence and solitude and meditation on the Word. These very disciplines that can help the seeking heart to find God if they are done out of duty out of obligation, out of legalism, with a motivation to somehow impress, which we won't do, or, or earn, which we can't do, it can leave us unfulfilled and empty. And form, but you know, on the basis of us looking to enjoy God, these disciplines can help us to enter in and to find Him and experience Him. Can you imagine, you see, Esther and myself, we, we try regularly to have what we call a date night, well, often we don't go out much these days, uh, but we'll stay in and we'll put some music on and we'll light some candles, we'll set a conducive environment, we'll, we'll have some food and we'll be fully present for one another. It's one of the things we do to, to keep our marriage alive. But can you imagine me saying to Esther, look, should we, can we put date night in for Tuesday? And she's looking forward to Tuesday evening of having some quality time with me. But when she rocks up at, at eight o'clock, I go, I've been thinking about this time. And I've been thinking of the next two hours, I'd really like to get the best out of this time. And so what I'm going to suggest is for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to tell you all about my life and my week, what has been going on. I'd rather you don't ask any questions uh, during that time, but you can ask questions at the end, maybe 10 minutes or so. And then what I'd like us to do is switch things around. You can share for 30 minutes. I won't interrupt you. And then I will ask you questions about that. After that, what I'd like us to do is pull apart a little bit and think about five things we really appreciate about one another. And then we will share those one with another. And then if we have time, we will think about how we can strengthen our marriage further. Who, who, who knows? Who knows that that is a bit freaky? Who knows that Esther at this point might go, do you know what? Something's just come up. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to go out because I was hoping for romance and what I got was intensity. What I got was structure. What I got was a man on task. What I need is an open heart. And I say that because I think sometimes we can come to a time like this and it be, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to not do this and I'm going to, I'm going to drink that but I'm not going to eat that. And, and, and you know, the Lord wants us to come and enjoy Him. The Lord wants us to come and draw near to Him. Can we enjoy God? I want to say we must enjoy God. We can all learn to enjoy God. This has been part of the journey of my Christian life. I had to come to learn to enjoy God. The day I got saved, I didn't know how to enjoy God. But I went on a journey. I want to say to you, if somehow this seems alien or elusive to you, you can learn to enjoy God. David had found joy in God's presence. And he says, oh, one thing, one thing I ask of the Lord. This only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze, to gaze on his beauty. 
to seek him. He says, oh, Psalm 63, my soul thirsts for God. My whole being longs for you. I've beheld your glory. Your love, Lord, is better than life. I'll praise you as long as I live. My soul will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. My soul will be fully satisfied. I, I guess we've probably all sometimes eaten a meal where you know, we've come to the end of the meal and we are fully satisfied. You don't want anything else. If the host was to say, you know, would you like, no, I, I, it's not like, I'm not talking about gluttony, but you know that sense of like, I need for nothing else. I am fully satisfied. And David says, my soul will be like that in your presence. Because he'd learned to be satisfied in God. We were created to be satisfied by God. You know, while I can't deliver this experience for you, I can lead you to the door and I can assure you of what's on the other side. Because I've been many times. And so as we come to this 21 days, my encouragement is that you would enjoy God. I want to remind you of four things. And when I say you, because we normally in preaching use the language of us, I am preaching to myself as well. But I want to remind you of four things today. Firstly, I want to remind you that God wants to know you. God wants, God wants to know you. Let me say this again. He wants to know you. I know you've heard me, but I'm going to say it again. He wants to know you. Now you might say, oh, that's ridiculous. He, he knows everything about me. We understand there's a charge for us to know God. Hosea 6.3, the NLT says, oh, that I might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. Paul in Philippians 3, you know, that I want to know Christ. And there's this charge for us to come and know God. But you know, God wants to know you. You might say, that's ridiculous. God knows everything about me. The Bible says he knows every, the number of, of hairs on my head which is obviously easier for some than for others. But, but he says, you know, before a word is on your tongue, he knows it completely. So how, if this one, how the one who is all-knowing and knows everything, how can you say he wants to know me? Well, if you turn to Matthew 7, you'll find Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And these are very powerful words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's my italics there. I never knew you. In Matthew 25, there is the parable of the 10 virgins that are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, and five of them have oil to spare, and five of them don't have oil to spare, and their lamps are burning. They're fueled by oil. Now, this is another message for another day. I believe the oil is the, uh, the intimacy of our relationship with God. We need to have oil to spare. We can't borrow anybody else's oil. But five of them, they run out. The bridegroom's later than expected. Their, oil, their lamps are burned out. They're burning down. And they have to go out to get some more oil. And while they're out, the bridegroom arrives and the door is shut. And this is what Jesus says. This is 11 and 12 of Matthew 25. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't 
know you. I don't know you. You see, here's the truth. I can steal your identity by identity fraud. And I can come to know a lot about you. If I had the right access to intelligence, I could access social media. And if I had the right understanding, I could understand your personality profile and, and with you know, psychological training, could understand an incredible amount about you. But I know you when you open your heart to me. I, we know each other when we disclose. We know each other when we're vulnerable. We know each other when we get past the small talk and when we go deep together, when we share on a personal and intimate level one to another. And the deeper we go, the, 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 the more open we are, the more candid we are, the more vulnerable we are, the better we really know each other. Am I right? I believe God wants to know you. And he knows us when we come and we open our hearts to him. Chris Hodges in a book that I'm reading at the moment called Fresh Air, one of the great Christian leaders of our day, talks about his journey of becoming a Christian, of growing up in church, of, of his church experience being one of rules and regulations. He says this, I never doubted God's existence or the need to trust Jesus to save me. The older I got, uh, as, the old, as I got older, sorry, I prayed and I read my Bible. I often responded to the altar call at the end of the service. But even though I tried to learn more about God and the Bible and what Christians were supposed to do, I always felt that no matter how much I put in, it was never going to be enough. Every time I went to church, I either heard about the things I shouldn't be doing that I was doing or heard about the things I wasn't doing that I needed to do. This was the only approach I knew to having a relationship with God. So I tried to please him by doing the right things and by not doing the wrong things. And sometimes I wondered if it was worth it. The truth was I didn't really like church. I didn't enjoy too many Christians either. They smiled and nodded and prayed and said, God bless you, brother. But they seemed as frustrated as I was underneath their good church faces. It was probably because they didn't want to be there either, or at least that was my theory. I had so many questions. Why was it such a struggle to do everything right? How could I actually enjoy this so-called wonderful, joy-filled Christian life? Uh, and why, despite all my efforts to do everything right on the outside, did I feel empty and numb and lifeless on the inside? And I read that today because that, that might resonate with some people in the room. Since then, he says, I've discovered that when the focus is on doing spiritual things and avoiding sinful things, the motivation is all wrong. And then he talks about how he went as a 15-year-old to another youth group where people were passionately in love with Jesus. And it transformed his life. And he went home and he looked through the scriptures to try and understand what it even meant to be saved. And he came to those verses we've just read in Matthew 7 where Jesus says, I never knew you. And he had a revelation. He said, for the first time, I realized God wasn't keeping a checklist, marking down what I was doing and not doing. He wanted to know me. My eternal destiny wasn't about religion, but relationships. So that December night in 1978, Christmas break of my sophomore year of high school, I gave my life to Jesus and told him that if he'd give me another chance, he would never find another person who would follow him with more passion than I would. And it might sound cliched, but truly that night changed my life forever. My friends, I, I'd like to invite you to be known by God these three weeks. It means coming before him and saying, as stupid as it might sound, here I am, Lord. This is how I'm feeling. Being honest with him, being real. If you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're disappointed, to share that with him. You won't shock him. 
You won't surprise him. You won't ambush him with anything. But sometimes in my walk with God, it has been in those raw moments of honesty when I poured out my heart, I have strangely felt his pleasure the most because he wants to know me. The second thing I'd like to remind you of is you were created for his presence. Can we all say presence? You were created for his presence. Think about it. In Genesis, man, for, man was formed by God from the dust of the earth, and, and God breathed his breath into the man. He set him in the garden, and God walked with him, man and woman, naked and unashamed, no sin, no shame. God was there walking in the garden. The environment is the manifest presence of God. God is in the garden and man is created. As water is for fish and as the air is for birds, the presence is our natural habitat. It is our created environment. If you put a plant in the wrong environment, it will not thrive. It will only thrive in the right environment. We will only thrive in the right environment. And our right environment is the presence of God. We were created for the presence of God. It's a tragedy that so much of humanity is striving for the satisfaction of the soul and the pursuing of success and of work and, and relationships and money and all that the world goes after. Not that all of that is wrong, but it will never fully satisfy it will never fully satisfy. David says, you know what? My soul is fully satisfied in his presence. You were created for his presence. Nothing else will fully satisfy you. Let me tell you, you can go after everything and you can become the most successful person you know, but you will be fully satisfied in his presence. You were created for it. You can't change that. It's your environment. And so something within us has to understand. So I'm saying this because these 21 days, let it not be about do more, do more, do more, but come and find his presence. Oh, Lord, open your presence to me. Let it be your prayer at the start of the day. Here I am, Lord. Let me experience your presence today. Help me to have a capacity for your presence that I would know you. He wants to know you and we want to and need to experience God. God throughout the Bible walks with people. Enoch, Noah, speaks to Moses face to face in his presence. It says that when Moses went out to speak to the people, his assistant Joshua stayed in the tent. He lingered in the presence. It says Samuel, the boy, grew up in the presence of God. David comes to experience the presence of God. As king in Jerusalem, he, he brings the ark to Jerusalem. Why does he do it? Because he wants the presence, the, the manifest presence. But when Jesus dies on the cross and shouts, it is finished and the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom. It's not only to make us a, a way to God and our sins to be forgiven, but that we can come into his presence. Hallelujah. And I'm saying this because let our goal not first and foremost be, I'm going to do this and this and this. But Lord, reveal your presence to me. You know, on our, our date night, when we have it, we put our phones in another room. Why? Because we want to be fully present for one another. I've had to learn in my devotional life, I, I need my phone in another room. 
I, I am distracted if I've got my phone. Now, I know some of you, you, you maybe read the Bible off your phone, but I, I don't know how you do that in a devotional life because if, you're, if your life's anything like mine, the propensity for WhatsApp messages and texts and emails and the, the temptation to check the news and social media, it's like, I, I don't need that if I'm gonna be fully present before God. I've had to learn, and what I end up doing is I prepare time to spend with the Lord, and I end up spending it with my phone. So I have to put it outside. I don't need a different room. We do it on a date night. I do it before the Lord now. I need my phone in a different room. Maybe you access the Bible on your phone, but actually that's a problem for you. Well, just like get a Bible. No, seriously. And like, I'm serious. And I know it's old school, but you need to be fully present. And you can get some really cheap, you don't need, you know, if you're struggling financially. If you can't afford a Bible, come and talk to me, I'll buy you a Bible. But we've got to be fully present in order that we experience his presence. And as we come, you see, for me, I'm so excited about these three weeks. I'm a little bit daunted as on the threshold of a 21-day fast. But, I, but listen, I, I'm so excited to be in the presence of God. Because it's my favorite place in the whole world. Like there's nowhere I want to be more than in the presence of God. And I'm proper excited. I'm stoked about these next 21 days. Why? Because I know I'm going to experience his presence. One of the great things about fasting is it, it, as we suppress the, the appetites of the flesh, it heightens our sensitivity to his presence. And I'm excited about that. I'm already sensing that. But let that be our goal the, the third thing I want to remind you about is this, uh, knowing he loves you will unlock everything. Let's say that together. Knowing he loves you will change everything. Sorry, so we'll change there, but unlock him in notes. Um, knowing that he loves you will change everything. Change it. I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. You know, I don't know if you know that God loves you. I'm not talking about a general knowledge answer now. You know, does God love you, yes or no? You know, I need to phone a friend here. It's like, we all know the answer is yes. But do you, do you, know, do you know that? Do you, do you know that? Have you dared to believe that? Yeah, have you, have you really dared to receive that news into your heart? Has it, has it dropped from the head to the heart? Do you really get it? Because if you know that he loves you, it'll change everything. Have you humbled yourself to accept? Have you invited the Holy Spirit to wreck you with that truth? You know, my friends, we need a revelation. We need a revelation. Ephesians chapter 3, this is what Paul writes. This is, I mean, this is one of the, ah, this is like the Himalayas of the New Testament. I pray for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray, my emboldening, 
that you being rooted and established in love. You know, Paul isn't praying for more obedience. He's not praying for, for greater giving or more serving. He says, I pray being rooted. See, if we are rooted, if we are secure as sons and daughters, if we are rooted in the love of God, if that's the foundation of our lives, if we are secure in the love of God and we are established, that we grow up out of that, we lift up our heads knowing we're loved by God. Uh, Paul knows that everything else will follow from that. I pray that being rooted in the establishing love, you may have the power. Let's say power. power. We need power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep. The four-dimensional love of God that you might have power to grasp this and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Just think about that for a moment. We, we need to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You cannot work this out. You need to stop trying. You will not get your head around it. But you can have the power to know it, even though it surpasses knowledge. To know it in your heart, it's a revelation. Knowing the power of Knowing his love. Brennan Manning, the amazing author, Ragamuffin Gospel and other books, says this after 48 years of following Jesus, shortly before he died, after literally thousands of hours of prayer and meditation, silence and solitude, I'm convinced on Judgment Day the Lord Jesus will ask us one question and one question only. Did you believe that I loved you? That I desired you? that I waited for you day after day, that I longed to hear the sound of your voice. The real believers will answer, yes, Jesus, I believed your love and I tried to shape my life in response to it. But many of us who are so faithful in our ministry and our practice and our church going are gonna have to reply, well, frankly, no, sir, I never really believed it. I mean, I heard a lot of sermons and great teachings about it. In fact, I gave a few myself but I always thought it was just a way of speaking, a kindly lie, a pious pat on the back to cheer us on. And Manning says, and that's the difference between the real believers and the nominal Christians that abound in our churches all across the land. Now these three weeks, my, my friends, if, if you do anything, may you have a revelation of how loved you are. As we come to 21 days of prayer, which can be set up and seem like do more, pray more, read more, fast more. And, and all of those things can help us, hear me right. All of those things can be tools to help us. But the goal is not to do more, it's to have a revelation of how loved we are. If we're going to go deeper in order to reach wider, we have to be changed by revelation of the love of God. I challenge you, dare to believe it. Ask him to reveal it to you. Stop trying to figure out what surpasses knowledge. Put aside your own self-criticism, your awareness of your inadequacies. Kill your pride that still wants to prove that you're worth it first because you're not worth it. You'll never be worth it. Only you're worth it to Him. It's the flesh that wants to earn everything, wants to justify everything, that says, but I wouldn't love me if I was Him. My friend, just receive 
few years ago, I, I was aware that I needed a, another level of revelation that God loved me. I knew it in my head, and I, I felt I grasped it a bit in my heart, but I, I knew I needed to grasp it at another level. And I said, Lord, give me a revelation of your love. I, I, need, to, I need to get this. I, I know it, but I, I need to sense this. And I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me to read Song of Songs, the book of Song of Songs, and to believe that it was written by him to me. I tell you, it, it was incredibly difficult for me. I was like, it was too much. I got to chapter four, verse, verse nine, eight or nine, and, and it says, just with one glance of your eye, you've stolen my heart. Like, like if I just glance God's way, he goes, oh. And, and literally, I was like, Lord, I cannot cope with this. And the Holy Spirit said, and that's your problem. And that's your problem. I'd say, God, help me. Because if I was you, I wouldn't feel like that about me. Help me to receive. Church, 21 days to draw near. Lord, give me a revelation of your love. It'll change everything. And finally, I want to remind you of this. You must change and become like a little child. You must change. We all must change and become like little children. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. It's a, a story, really, a, an account of humility and a question about greatness. Matthew 18, 1 to 3. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. He said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. What do we all say? Wow. <laughs> wow. Jesus speaking to his disciples. I want to notice two words here. The first word is change. Let's say change. And the second word is little. Let's say little. Jesus pulls, he doesn't say he pulls a child. He says pulls a little, a little child. A little child in the midst. He said, you've got to change and you've got to become like this one. You've got to change. I want to say to you, you need to change and become like a little child. I need to change and become like a little child. In the kingdom of God. You see, I don't know if you notice, little children, they're so trusting, right? They're so loving. They're so affectionate. They're so honest. They say things like, you know, Daddy, why is that man so fat? And why is that woman got a beard? You know, they, they don't know tax, right? They just, it's there. I love that about little children. You just get it. It is for real. They're so in the moment. There's no, there's no worrying about tomorrow or, or whether the bills are going to get paid or whether dinner's going to serve up. It's now, right in the moment. That's what little children are like. So dependent on their parents, so devoted to their parents. For little children, their parents are superheroes. I once heard two boys, one of them was saying, they're on a climbing frame, and one of them said, my daddy could lift this climbing frame up. And the other one says, my daddy can lift the house up. I was like, oh, wow. Your daddies. You know, when, when I was a boy, my dad was my superhero. When I was a little boy, I was his shadow. No, if he was gardening, I'd go gardening. If he was washing the car, I'd want to wash the car. Why? I, just, I just wanted to be where he was. 
I remember in the morning, he used to set off at 10 to 8 every morning. He'd leave the house. Me and my sister, we'd be there to see him off. We'd give him a kiss. We'd give him a hug. And then as he drove off the drive, we'd run upstairs because there's an upstairs window. And as he drove off, he went round the corner. And through the corner, there was a gap in some houses. And we'd wave at the window. And he'd wave as he went off to work. And then he'd come back. He'd come back at 6 o'clock, almost every day on the dot. From 5 o'clock onwards, we'd be getting excited. And we'd be listening out for the car. We'd hear a car at 10 to 6. And we'd think it was home early but it was somebody else. We were getting ready for him to come. And when we heard the car, we'd rush to the door and we'd come in and I'd grab his leg and I could remember the smell of his suit as he got in from work and the smell of his briefcase when I was a little boy. But there came a day when my dad walked through the front door and I didn't look up. Hello? There came a day when actually I grew up and I left home and I became my own man. And do you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. It's healthy. It's good. It's whole real life. If at the age of 47, I was still rushing to my dad as he came into the door uh, as an unmarried man and waving him off in the morning, hello, there'd be something wrong. But in the kingdom, in the kingdom, in the kingdom, in the kingdom, in normal life, grow up, become independent, be responsible, take responsibility, live your life. But in the kingdom, Jesus says you've got to change. Become like a little one, like one of these. And he doesn't say like a child. He says like this child, this, this one. These 21 days, my friends, let's pray. Let's fast. Let's get into the Word, but let's come like little children. Why don't the band come and join me as we come into close? You see, the issue is many of us, we become so independent. We, we've learned to manage everything, but then we try and manage God. And we want to do our stuff and, and get these 21 days right and, and, and do our disciplines and, and execute what we need to execute and manage it all and manage God and factor Him in. And He says... Just change and come like a child into my presence because that is how I will come to know you. That is how you can receive my love. And the truth is we have to humble ourselves. This passage is about humility. He says, unless you humble yourself and become like a little child. You see, in our pride, we've become all grown up. But in humility, we have to come before him. And fasting can help us in humility. David says, I humbled my soul with fasting. So maybe in the mornings, these 21 days, my friends, let's get on board. Let's not let this pass us by. Let's put our phones out of the room. Let's just make space for him. Make space for him. But as we come, maybe we need to come and to say, Lord, here I am. Well, the first time I did a 21-day fast, you know, I, I started on a Friday, but I had a really intense schedule, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And I, and I remember like I, I got to Monday and I was just, I was glad because I was through this intense period and, and I could actually come and do what I'd set off on this fast to do. And I went to this place where, where I, I, I was going to go and spend my time with God. You know, the first hour, I, I read several chapters of the Bible. My second hour, I spoke in tongues for an hour. My third hour, I put some worship on and I sang some songs to God. But I was a little bit like what I talked about earlier, that intensity. And I got to the end of my three hours and I was not sensing God. (laughs) 
I was going, Lord, what's the matter here? I've read the Bible, I've spoken in tongues, I've praised you, haven't I? You know, it's like, where are you? And it's like, it's like the Lord's going, let's take the intensity down, man. Just calm and enjoy me. And what I experienced was as I turned the intensity down, the intensity of his presence increased. So maybe we need to calm and say, Lord, here I am. I want to know you. And I want you to be able to know me. I love you and I want to know your love in a deeper way. Lord, do you want to say anything to me? Here I am. Can I share with you my burdens, the things that are bothering me and distracting me before I turn to your word? Ah, it's been tough, Lord. I know, he says, I know. Come and enjoy the Lord. Something deep can happen within you. Why don't we stand together? Father, would you help us? Father, would you help us? Why don't you open your heart with me? Father, would you help us? Help us to approach you and to approach you in a way that is helpful. Help us to change, Lord, and become like little ones. Lord, give us the capacity to receive your love. Lord, that we might come to know you and we might position ourselves that you can know us. Lord, and help us above all things to know your presence, to draw nearer that that created environment would be a place we would become familiar with that would change us. As we draw near to you, draw near to us, we pray in your precious name.